Lovely. Okay, so we've been looking through, um, just or just started really looking at the different characters of the Bible. Um, today, last week, of course, we looked at, at Abraham. Um, today, we're looking at a, at a guy called um, Gideon. So if you, uh, I just, maybe just to, to say, um, as we start, um, I wonder if you ever thought, maybe in your more, more thoughtful moments, um, what you'll be remembered for, maybe a little bit more contemplative. What will mark... Um, what mark will you leave on this world? Sorry, Keith. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what mark will you leave on this world? Many will achieve great things. Um, for some, they will run great businesses. For others, they will find famous singers or actors or sportsmen and women. Many will be remembered for their great achievements. But as Christians, I believe God has put a much greater calling upon our lives. Ultimately, we are called to be worshippers of Him, but to be people of prayer and action so that we will affect not just this world, but we will affect eternity. And God has put a call upon your life. Each and every one of you, God has put a call upon your life. So today we're talking about this guy, Gideon, who was called by God, employed by God to do a job. So we're going to read a little bit from Scripture from Judges chapter 6. We're going to begin at verse 11. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Orthat, belonging to Joash, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon re replied. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. But how... Could I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. The Lord said, I will wait until you return. Gideon then goes off into his house. He prepares some food. He comes back. Verse 20, it says, The angel of the Lord said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on the rock, and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of his staff that was in his hand. Fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace. Do not be afraid. 
you are not going to die. We get into verse, into chapter 7, and Gideon, or sorry, the, sorry, the middle of, of, of chapter 6, sorry, Gideon goes out at night and he tears down, he destroys the idol of Baal. He gets into some real serious trouble because of that, but he manages to get away with it. And then Gideon asks for another sign. Verse 36, Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said, and that it will happen. Sorry, and, it, and this is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. So we get into chapter 7, and God calls this big army together. But then God tells Gideon, too big. Got to make it smaller. So he says to the people, anybody who's scared or frightened, you can go home. So 20,000 people disappear in an instant. Still too big. Too many people. So God tells Gideon, get them to drink the water. And those who drink the water by cupping their hands and bring it to their mouths, those are the people to stay. Everybody else must go. He's left with 300 men. Just 300 men. Chapter 7, verse 16. He divides the 300 men into two companies. He places trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them and torches inside. Gideon and the 100 men with him reach the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch just after they have changed guard they blow their trumpets they break the jars that are in their hands the three companies blew their trumpets and smashed the jars grasping the torches in their left hand and holding in their right hand the trumpet that they were to blow they shouted a sword for the lord and for gideon while each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. That day, God defeated the Midianites. Israel, through Gideon, had release and peace for many, many years. Great story of God's provision and God's work. But perhaps we ask the question, why on earth would God use Gideon? Had he really got much going for him? I mean, he's, he's pretty scared. He's hiding away. He's, he's, he's an insignificant sort of guy. Why would God choose to use a man like Gideon? Perhaps we ask the question of ourselves, why would God want to use me? What have I got to offer? I'm sure it's a question you've asked yourself. 
I have asked myself from time to time, why would God want to use me? And what I think would be helpful to do is to look at some of the characteristics in verses 11 to 18 of chapter 6 and ask this question, what is it about Gideon that made God choose him? That's where we're going, okay? What was it about Gideon that made God choose him? The first thought is this, verse 11, Gideon was hard-working. He, despite his fears, he's actually willing to do something. And it's perhaps no surprise that God is using a man who is already busy. He might be scared, but at least he's working. He, he might be hiding away, but at least he's actually doing something useful. He's producing food. You know, it's said if you want to get a job done well and get it done quickly, you ask a busy person. It's actually very true. Lazy people generally don't get much done. They just don't. In fact, laziness, it talks in the Bible, it, it, laziness will not produce godliness. And God wants us to be productive within life, to be busy people, to serve him, to honor him, both within whether it be churchy stuff or whether it be in our day-to-day -day stuff. But God is looking for men and women who are busy, who are active. I guess there's a, there's a growing trend within church life that we're just looking for some very easy, some quick fixes, this sort of quick fix Christianity. Isn't to hear the testimony this morning about how over a period of time we're waiting on God and how often it doesn't happen instantly. It happens as we press in and wait on God. But, but so often we're looking for a quick prayer, for a quick answer, just to fix things up. Some sort of fast food Christianity that we just, you know, that is just, it, it might taste good for a but it's, it's pretty empty. And then when things don't happen the way that we expect them to happen, we become discouraged, we blame God, we blame other people, we may even blame ourselves occasionally. You know, life is not that easy, unfortunately. Circumstances generally do not change overnight. I wish I could tell you differently. Just the reality is, as most of us know, they just don't. We just finished the book of Philippians. Remember Paul? Paul's in prison. He's suffering. He's going through a great deal of difficulty and tragedy within his life. But he finds joy right in the middle of those situations. Not because God delivers him from those places. He never got out of prison. At least we're not, in the book, he doesn't, he's, not, he's not released from prison. Instead, he finds joy. He finds God's peace right in the middle of those difficult and hard times. And the longer that I am a Christian, the more I realize that often the times in which we grow the most are in the difficult and hard places. And maturity comes through difficulty and hard work. But also, you will only really grow when you spend time alone with God. See, it was Gideon who was in that, he was working hard in that old wine press. Now, this was a dusty, sweaty, dirty place to be, but it's not a most unlikely place when he's hard at work that God speaks to him, that he hears from God. And it will be in those times of prayer when we're kneeling in the presence of God alone with him, when it feels like hard work, when perhaps even we think, I'm not even sure my prayer is even getting much further than the ceiling, perhaps when we least expect it, that God turns up. In those moments when we're pressing in, when we're persistent, as we have heard already, when we're just pressing into God, that God will turn up and we will hear from him. 
And there is effort in becoming more like Christ. But as we talked about last week, this is a grace-driven effort. It's not a self-driven effort. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, I worked harder than any of them, though it's not I, but it's the grace of God that is within me. And the key to spiritual achievement may and does, in fact, involve some hard work, but it begins and ends with knowing and believing, in fact, and being happy that God's sovereign grace is the decisive, in fact, the only reason for all the good that will come within your life. It is by God's grace, not by your effort. But we sometimes need to get up and do something as well. My grandfather, we called him Papa, was a big man. He was a farmer, and he used to get the work done while other people just talked about it. It applied both to his farming and to his church life. He loved nothing better than to have a sledgehammer in his hand and just knock down walls. He seemed to be happiest in those moments, and he applied that to just every aspect of his life in, in many ways. When it came to his church life, when he, see that, when he saw that something needed to be done, he would just get on and do it and have the discussion afterwards. I can remember him finishing, dis finishing off discussions many times. Well, you know, if they don't like it, they can always change it back. And he was serious. He was quite happy if they wanted to. He knew they never would. In fact, sometimes they just simply couldn't. I can remember hearing about a, his frustration with a, a tree once that was growing over the sign in, in the Methodist church, where he, which he was part of. Every few weeks, they would cut back the, bit of the leaves of the tree, but obviously they would grow back again fairly quickly. So one Saturday afternoon, he arrived when nobody else was around with a chainsaw, and he cut the tree down. You can imagine the frustration and anger of the committee when they arrived the following Sunday to discover that their tree was was gone. But he saw something needed to be done, and he simply got on and did it. You know what's interesting? After a few weeks, after the tree was gone, many of the people who cried the loudest and shouted the loudest were coming to him saying, great job, that tree's gone. It just lets so much more light in. And we, every church needs doers and prayers. One of the other memories I have of my papa as a child was the prayer meetings that he and granny used to run. Even as a young child, I remember just that sense of God's presence as they prayed together. Prayer for them just seems to be sort of fairly natural. They prayed with expectation, they prayed loudly, and they prayed with passion for the glory of God to come and for revival to change our land. And we need God by His Spirit to give us that passion both to work hard and to pray hard. But it starts by doing something. By doing something. And whether I know, I mean, sometimes work can be hard to find these days, but whether you choose to do paid work or voluntary work 
or whatever, but start by doing something. Serve God in whatever way. It doesn't have to even to be linked particularly with church, but serve God within life and everything that you do. Be busy people. Be creative people. Be people who work hard for the glory of God. Second thing about this man, Gideon, he was strong and courageous, verse 12. Or was he? Really? Is this angel just having a laugh? Or is it really prophecy? See, Gideon was more of a mighty warrior than he was a mighty warrior. But God saw the potential in him, and he addressed him as a hero. And Gideon found it really hard to believe that God could actually use him. All he could see, he couldn't see his own strength. All he could see was his own weakness and his insecurity and his unsuitability. But as God sees you very differently how you see yourselves. And if God could Gideon then there is absolutely no reason why God cannot and will not use you. And God sees the potential in you. You may not see it. You may run yourself down. But God does not see you as you see yourself. He's not put off by your worries or by your insecurities. He can deal with each and every one of them. And Gideon's strength came through his weakness when he relied. when you're totally dependent on God and when you realize that he giver of life in fact he is the only one who can sustain you and can keep you your very next breath only because of God's grace and if you need God's grace just for another breath how much more do you need his grace in every other area within your life? And as church and as individuals, we should be longing just for the manifest presence of God, the manifestation of the power of God, the full outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we need to live in absolute and unceasing dependency on him to reach the potential that God sees in you is to realize that that source of your life and your power is found in Jesus, in Jesus Christ. And this begins when you take that first step towards him, begins when you become a Christian. It means acknowledging that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross for you, that he rose again, that he truly is victorious. And then coming to him by faith, repenting of your sins, turning from them and turning to Christ, you start and find hope and a future in and through Jesus Christ. And as you do, his spirit will come and fill you and he, you will discover, will be your joy and your satisfaction. Psalm 27 verse 14 tells us, it says, wait for the Lord and let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. And there's this principle here that we see quite often in Scripture of just patiently waiting on God. Now, patience is hard, isn't it? I mean, just me. But I find, you know, it's very hard to be, to be patient sometimes. And I grew up on a dairy farm. 
Um, and we often had this the challenge of feeding young calves. They were taken off their mothers at a very young age, very young age, so it meant they did not really know how to drink milk properly. So in order to feed calves, what we would do, get a bucket of milk, and we'd stick our hand into the milk, the calves would suck on our, on our fingers, and then by doing that, of course, it was taking in milk at the same time. Over time, it eventually would learn how to drink by itself. The only problem with that, it was really quite back-breaking work. You're bending over all the time, your fingers tend to get quite raw from just the rough tongue of the calf. And I have to admit, at times I would get extremely frustrated, particularly with these calves that just weren't cooperating very well. So I sometimes developed a slightly different method. I call it the soaking method. It's to use a scientific principle of osmosis. And when I just got so frustrated that I had enough, I would tip what was left of the bucket of milk over the back of the calf, hoping that some of it might just soap, soak in. It was very, very effective for relieving my frustration. It was very ineffective for feeding calves. See, if that calf was to grow strong, they needed to have their food. In fact, they needed to learn how to feed. It is that simple. And it takes time to learn to receive from God. It takes time to become strong, to learn what it is to feed on the Word of God. And it's so important that you learn to feed on God's Word for yourselves, that you grow strong by His Spirit, strong within His Word, and learn to grow strong in Him. This takes time in God's presence. And we want to rush ahead of God, do we not? So often we want to rush ahead of Him, and God wants us to wait on His presence, to be patient, but waiting on God. It's, it's not some sort of passive process. It's very active because it's pressing into God's Word. It's spending time in the Scripture. It is spending time in prayer. It is actively seeking God. It is pursuing after God. But as we wait in His presence, we discover His time is always perfect, that He is the giver of strength and courage. And we will find our hope in and through him. The third thing about Gideon, verse 13, is that he is distressed that God has left them. See, Gideon's heart's cry was, where are you, God? God, why have you abandoned us? You know, the greatest need for our nation today is Jesus. Politicians, sorry, ain't going to sort it. We need people to know Jesus Christ. That is the greatest need of our nation. He is the only solution. But perhaps you've asked the question, God, what are you doing? God, where are you? Where are the wonders? Where are the miracles? And we get glimpses of them, but do we not long for more? Why do bad things happen? Why is the vast majority of people in this country, why do they give no thought for God at all? But perhaps the key, the key question is not why, but how does that make you feel? And love demands 
that we rescue people from eternal judgment. One day we will stand before God, and those who do not know His Son, Jesus Christ, will be separated from God from, for all of eternity. Does that bother us? Let's give it a moment of concern. The truth is we're, we're hardly making an impact into society, into, into our city. We don't see the life-changing conversions anywhere near often enough. In fact, the vast majority of churches sometimes go years without ever seeing anybody being saved. At Freedom, how much better are we doing? We're seeing in ones and twos, maybe every few months, people coming to faith in Christ. Is that enough? Is that, is that enough? I don't think so. Does it bother us? And we need the Holy Spirit to change our thinking, to distress us, to open our eyes to the state of our society, to get us down on our knees, to cry out to God that God would revive us once again. Listen, revival begins within the house of God. In fact, it begins within our hearts. And from here, it goes out and it changes communities, it changes society, it can change nations. So let us take up our cross. And for, for the sake of the joy that is set before us, let us lay down our lives and pray along with the psalmist. Let the people praise you, O God. Let all the people praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. You see, if God, if God by his mercy would become our delight, if Christ would become the treasure of our nation, then he would be honored and they would be saved. And the church today needs to become distressed and burdened for the lost. To pray so that prayers are not just some sort of routine, but they are desperate and passionate and urgent. John Bonner puts it like this. He says, oh brother, pray. In spite of Satan, pray. Spend hours in prayer rather than neglect friends than not pray. Rather fast and lose breakfast, dinner, tea and supper and sleep too than not pray. And we must not talk about prayer. We must pray in right earnest. And perhaps the primary reason why Gideon is chosen, why this is the man that God chooses to use in that situation was because here's a man that God saw the distress within his heart. He cared enough. And his desire was to see the glory of God return and for his nation to be revived once again. What about you? What about me? Does it bother us? The fourth thing about this man Gideon is he was very humble, verse 15. Humility is not something that we talk a lot about these days. In fact, it's viewed almost as a weakness within our lives. Um, yet perhaps the biggest barrier to seeing God move in awesome power is pride. And we need to recognize I guess, the underlying pride within our lives. It's one area where Satan can have free reign within church life. And listen, as leaders, we are particularly susceptible to this. And we need to put pride to death. And living in humility is one of the hardest 
characteristics to attain. Truth is, as soon as you think you've got it, you have lost it. Yet if we look at the example of Jesus, he taught it and he lived it. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus, I am gentle and I am low. Does it make him a weak person? Of course it didn't. And we need today to have men and women who will follow the example of Jesus Christ and who will become humble warriors. And this can't be done just by personal effort. It can only be done by the filling of the Holy Spirit. Only the power of the Holy Spirit can bring true humility into our lives. And humility is a feeling towards God that He is in absolute control over your life, that He can do with you as He pleases, that He has absolute authority to tell you what is best for you. It is a spirit of utter submissiveness to your Lord as Master. Hudson Taylor seemed to, to grasp this. Hudson Taylor said was scheduled to speak at a large Presbyterian church in Melbourne, Australia. The person who was introducing the, this missionary did so in such eloquent and glowing terms. He told this large congregation of all that Taylor had done on the mission field in China and presented him as our illustrious guest. Taylor stood quietly for a moment. And then he opened his message by saying, Dear friends, I am the little servant of an illustrious master. And we need to know our place in relation to our God. And we have a great master, savior, and Lord. Let us serve with humble integrity, no deception, no distortion, no self-promotion, no illusions of grandeur. May we boast in Jesus Christ and in Him alone, in nothing else and in no one else. But Gideon's greatest need came in verse 12, in verse 14, in verse 16, in verse 17, and we could go on. When God spoke to him and said to him, I will be with you. See, all of Gideon's qualities, all of his characteristics, everything about him is useless without this one thing. Even Gideon recognized his own weakness and his irrelevance. If he did not have this one thing, then he's finished before he even begins. The Lord must be with him. And it's so easy to knock Gideon's weak faith or even slowness to grasp God's call. But we need to examine sometimes our own so-called strong faith and our readiness to move into action. See, is the reason why we're sometimes so quick to move because our confidence is based in our own ability rather than God's work within our lives. Will you do nothing knowing God's presence is with you, that God's Spirit is with you. You need the presence of God. And what Gideon is saying is this, if God does not go with me, then don't send me. I need God. I need to be sure. And all those fleeces and all those things is Gideon saying, God, I need you. Listen, that is not a bad place. To be. It's not a bad place to be. 
And we need to do God's work in God's way, at God's time, with God's power. And we need to hear from God. In fact, it is better, it's better that you wait than go in your own strength. In the 1859 revival in Ulster, James McQuilkin had been converted four years earlier through the witness of an English lady. Before long, he led three of his friends to Christ. The four of them agreed to meet every week for prayer and for Bible study. They chose to meet in an old school near Kells. And during the winter of 57 to 58, each of them would gather an armful of peat and they'd go to the old school, they'd light a nice fire and they'd begin to pray every Friday evening. It's said that as the, peat, as, the, as the peat fire warmed their bodies, they would call down fire from heaven. Two more joined them. But it wasn't until New Year's Day, 1858, that they saw their first conversion. They prayed. I'm sorry, by the end of that year, that prayer meeting had grown to 50 people. They prayed for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon themselves, but also upon the surrounding community. This was the one object and burden of their prayers. They kept praying in this one way, and they did not go on to anything else. Many people criticized this group for praying in such a way, but kept on praying until the power came and the power came. By the close of that following year, 100,000 people had become Christians in Ulster, and God had moved. Today, it's easy to ask the question, where is the God of Gideon? The answer, where he's always been, on the throne, high and exalted, full of glory and power. The appropriate question is not where is God, but where are the men and women of God? People who will pray with passion, leaders and warriors and fervent Listen, these are ordinary people, just like you and me. People who've allowed God to change them. Workers who are strong and courageous, who are humble and passionate for more of God. But we have got two choices. We either just carry on as we are and go through the routines of life, or we get serious about God. Do you want God to pass you by because of self-sufficiency or pride? Or perhaps because you play games with God or you're half-hearted about your trust in God? God is looking for people who are committed to Him 100%. There are no halfways in serving God. God is looking for men and women who will step up for young people who will take God seriously, who will be willing to make a difference for His sake and for His glory. More than ever before, our nation needs men, women, young people who are sold out for God, living in dependency on Him, filled with His Spirit, functioning in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and praying that His glory would be poured out once again, that our churches would be restored, and that our towns would be revived for His name's sake.
who will be willing to live like that? If not you, then who? Stand. Today, I just really feel like righteous for that call that we, that we surrender. What God can do with a few people who surrender completely to Him, well, history has proven that can be tremendous things. But God is looking for your heart. Not to play games, but to get serious about the things of God, about serving Him. And God's hand is upon your life. God's Holy Spirit is resting upon you. But God is not going to impose Himself upon you. He's looking for you to, to receive Him completely, to open up everything to Him, to serve Him, with all that you have and are to take seriously his call. Listen, we have a city, we're on the age of a city with 100,000 people, but 6% of, of this area goes to church at the moment. That's over probably 100,000 people who don't know Christ, or at least don't give him much thought. And we need to do something. Prayer meeting is this Friday. We're going to be seeking God there as we, we always do. But let us, as we come together now, let us make that decision to commit to Him. And this is not something you do in a second, in a moment. This is a lifetime. And this is something that I would encourage you to go home and just pray about and just get down with God regularly and just seek God. I'm not going to call anything forward or anybody forward. If you want to come and chat and talk and want prayer, that's fine. We're, we're, we love to do that with you. But, you know, sometimes these things are between us and God. And we need to just, we need to make these serious moments in the quietness, in that time alone in His presence. So I encourage you this week to, to take that time. I can encourage you as well to get along to the prayer meeting on Friday, half seven here. And let's begin to call down fire from heaven for our city. That God would revive the city once again for his glory, for his name's sake. That God would restore us. So Lord, I just pray, Lord, just be with us now. Lord, just continue to speak to us, Lord, not just in this moment, but Lord, over the next few days and weeks, Lord Jesus, continue, Lord, to provoke us. Lord, just, I pray, Lord, for that healthy, just distress, Lord, to want more from you and to want you to do more, Lord, in our city, I pray in Jesus' name. God, have your way in our lives. Thank you, Lord. G'day, could you just put Jesus B on the words, please?
Jesus be 